If you're looking to save some money on your wireless plan, take a look at Visible Wireless. They're a transparent wireless carrier with nothing to hide. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible where you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. One-line wireless, just 25 bucks a month with taxes and fees included. That's unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Switch now at Visible.com. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. Like Visible, the wireless company making wireless visible. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, And you're listening to Podcast Unlocked, the world's number one Xbox podcast. Now, finish this fight. Master Chief, out. What's happening, friends? Welcome to Podcast Unlocked. It's episode 452 for July 14th, 2020. Coming up on this week's show, Jason Ronald from the Xbox Series X team at Microsoft returning to the podcast. We're going to talk a little Xbox Velocity Architecture. Digging a bit more on what that particular next-gen feature is all about. Plus, Ubisoft had their Ubisoft Forward event over the weekend. They revealed one big new game and gave a lot more details on a couple of their other big ones. Plus, Phil Spencer making the rounds, making a couple of interesting comments uh, about next-gen. So we'll talk about all that and more. I'm Ryan McCaffrey, joined, as always, by the hypo—I guess not—what's the opposite of hypoallergenic? Just allergenic— Miranda Sanchez. susceptible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my eyes are kind of puffy right now, so it's just... <laughs> anyway, I'm here. Hello. Hang in there. We appreciate you. You're hanging tough. Uh, sticking around on the podcast this week. Destin Legary. Hopefully I can bam the allergies away and make there it feel is. better. Please. That's what we'll we're see. waiting for. Brennan Tyrell, how are you, sir? Hi. How you doing? <laughs> got, a, got a world's largest eye roll for that one. <laughs> As he sips some coffee. Uh, All right. Well, guys, I wanted to start by just reiterating for our audience the plan for July 23rd. That is the date that we have circled on our calendar. The big Xbox event, the one we've been waiting for for quite some time. It's not the last one of the year. We've been promised something every month uh, in some way, shape, or form. But this is the big one, the biggest one so far. July 23rd, the Xbox Game Showcase. It will be this crew live beforehand as a pre-show join us we'll uh we'll get you hyped up we'll we'll get ready for it and then watch along with us on ign and then join us immediately afterwards you won't even have to touch that remote control as they used to say uh just stick with us for the live post show uh which we will then dive into all the analysis of what we just saw whatever it's going to be on july 23rd well let me get right to it here uh i want to go Destin's way first. Ubisoft forward over the weekend. Uh, Far Cry 6 being the big announcement there. And of course, typical Ubisoft, it leaked ahead of time, but they did show 
a cinematic trailer that really kind of set the tone for this game. Destin, what'd you think? Yeah, getting to see Giancarlo Esposito deliver that dialogue to his son in the game, Diego, was pretty great. Like, the way that he is just... He's, like, insane. He's obsessed with his own power in that trailer, and the whole grenade narrative device as he's delivering this dialogue just kept me hooked throughout the trailer, actually, and I can't wait to see what he does with that villain character and how they developed uh, his son Diego and how, how that relationship ends up playing out in the end. I, I really enjoy that, and I want to know more about Far Cry 6 personally. Uh, Brandon, we're going back to a tropical setting. Does this make you happy, or would you have rather <laughs> seen them go somewhere totally new? I don't really care, to be honest. <laughs> uh, you know, when it comes to Far Cry, it's been all over the, all over the place. The Himalayas, the tropical islands. Um, Montana. Montana, you know, that exotic locale. Uh, to me, you know, I just want to echo what Destin said. The, the elements that they showcased in the beginning, you know, specifically with that sort of cinematic introduction to the villain and the villain's family, that's way more interesting than the setting for me, especially because we haven't seen a whole lot of the setting. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm more interested in that dynamic, especially I'm, I'm wondering, like, you know, there was that weird conspiracy going on a couple of days before where they were matching up the sun's scar over his eyebrow with oh, the yeah. scar over his eyebrow. <laughs> Turns out that's that's totally doesn't seem to be in play. Um, but I'm really curious how they're going to treat the sun. Is there going to be a time jump and he's the actual villain, you know, molded by his 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 tyrannical father? Or um, are they going to do something that I think is more interesting and actually feature the child in the game as sort of this weird antagonist? Uh, or maybe, you know, forced antagonist, I suppose, under yeah. the clutches of his father. So looks cool. Looks awesome. I just want to see more. Miranda, your thoughts? <laughs> I mean, you guys know how I feel about Ubisoft games. Most of them are fairly un- interesting to me uh, as a fun performance. But I, I'm, I'm just I'm just watching. Yep. About it. Yeah, I, I, uh, like the series. Far Cry's turned into this huge series. It's, uh, it's been. I think Ubisoft has done a good job of making it their own. But at the same point, even though they have changed the settings, I, I've weirdly not been able to uh, get into the last couple of them. Like three, I loved three. I mean, that I think if you pulled most people except for Mitch Dyer, who'd say two. But three <laughs> well, is probably the generally regarded favorite, I think, if it would Far, win in a poll. Far Cry 5 was pretty good because it dealt with cults, and uh, right. it was like backcountry sort of roads, stuff like that. I, I actually... I like the bear. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a lot of fun in five, and I also really like three. Yeah, and then like four seemed kind of like just a, a 3.5, and uh, the primal... Far Cry primal. I couldn't, I couldn't, I did like, I did that. That's at a Damon's event. favorite. Hey, to each their own. Yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, that one didn't hold me. I don't know. I'd, I'll, I'll always give it a try. It's, it's due out at the end of February. So a quick announcement to release, um, that, yeah. that strikes me as a game that I like, as soon as I heard that release date, I went, my, I couldn't help my instinctive reflex was, oh, that's going to get delayed. <laughs> which, which fine if it does you know you want a yeah. good game but uh, it just seemed like an odd one like okay well but then again ubisoft has definitely shipped big games in q1 but uh yeah, yeah. i think far, i think far cry 5 was was it march i think you're right yeah i actually like it when they do those earlier yeah 
releases, just just peppering it out over time, especially for something that's probably going to be a bigger open world sort of experience. It's nice to have those peppered out, which uh, is not necessarily the case as well. <laughs> yeah, it, you're so right. I, I put out a tweet that got a surprising amount of pickup. Like it was just sort of a random thought over the weekend when uh, after the forward event, because this fall we have the following open world games. We have Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Watch Dogs Legion, because we'll talk about Watch Dogs in a second. That's out October 29th. Uh, and the release date for Assassins we'll talk about too. That's November 17th. So you've got Assassins, you've got Watch Dogs, two big, probably huge open world games from just from Ubisoft. Then you've got Cyberpunk 2077, which Miranda, you and I have played. So we, we have a sense of how huge that we talked all about how big that game feels uh and it's definitely open world you can go wherever you want uh then the uh you've got spider-man miles morales on ps5 if you end up picking a ps5 you you, uh, picking up a ps5 you play that and should the uh tonal hint from that first halo infinite trailer prove correct and halo is more of an open ring go wherever kind of experience that could be class could end up being classified as an open world game. So that's a lot of large open world games coming out in, in what a two month span. So that's just like, I don't even know how you, you keep up in the water cooler conversation with that. Like there's nothing stopping you from playing them months from now, but if you want to kind of be part of the conversation, how do you do that? I don't know. You don't. It's impossible. I mean, it's, I'm sure someone out there has figured it out. And props to you, Kevin, for like putting in the hours. But um, I, I also think it's pretty cool that you've got games that are that dense with that much to do, uh, like butting right up against a new console launch. Like, you know, you buy one on current gen, you buy one on next gen. And then, you know, when the consoles drop, you make the switch and you've got another 80 hours of game to play. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Uh, all right, so that's Far Cry 6. Watch Dogs. Now, Miranda, this one seemed more up your alley. We were talking before yeah. we went live. Uh, the, the fact that there is no primary uh, character. The, your primary character is whoever you want it to be, and you, you're, you're always recruiting new people into your legion, like, of course, good old Helen, the uh, elderly <laughs> woman from E3 last year. Uh, did, does that one... Did that one uh, strike your fancy a little bit more than than uh, some of the other stuff? Uh, I got to work on the Watch Dogs 2 wiki a little bit, so I actually did have some fun with that one. And I guess what I do like about Watch Dogs, even though it has like that Ubisoft blueprint of like a big open world and there's just stuff everywhere, and if it's interesting, maybe, maybe not. Um, but what I was interested with the gameplay with Watch Dogs Legion was like the variety of tools that you have. Um, potentially depending on the people you get within like your legion. Um, and I think that's like kind of a, a fun mechanic to have, um, how fun that will be, I think depends on how well each of those kind of different archetypes are built. Um, but it, it does look like it could be an interesting playground for mischief. So that's a good way to put it. Destin, are you a watchdogs guy? Yeah, I am absolutely going to recruit the most useless team I possibly can for Watch Dogs Legion. Uh, w- when I'm able to get my crew, I'm just going to look for like um, 
Because like in the trailer, they actually recruit a bunch of elderly people and they turn out to have unique skill sets. So I'm going to be really curious to target people that would seem to be useless and get into their real backstory and figure out what what benefits they can actually offer to your team. But yeah, my goal is going to be to make a useless team and then make that somehow work for the Watchdog story. Find the Ryan McCaffrey NPC. <laughs> yes, yeah, he'll be the first possible. one I recruit. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's. Uh, I I tell you, I do like. I like some of what they showed of of the uh, of being able to kind of hack hack up, rig up bombs and stuff where you actually don't even have to directly engage. It's it's like so we're it's clear another Ubisoft E three air quotes event passes and we get no mention of Splinter Cell. But little just bits of Splinter Cell get sprinkled in all the other Ubisoft games. I think that's the closest we're ever going to get. We're never going to see Sam Fisher again except his Ghost Recon DLC. But, um, but at least, yes, Watch Dogs is doing some, you know, a little, little bit of Splinter Cell-like things. And then uh, finally on, let's see, because what we got? We got, we got Jason Ronald coming in in a few minutes. Uh, Assassin's Creed. Now, Brandon Tyrell, you are a big fan of that series. You have repeatedly stated you think Odyssey, the most recent one, is the best of the of this now, gosh, however many games it is, probably it's gotta be at least eight or ten games by now. And yeah. you love Odyssey. So what what do you make what do you make of what you saw this weekend at uh Ubisoft Forward for Assassin's Creed Valhalla? I think um it's hard to tell, really. I mean, I watched the full presentation. Uh it, it very much seems like they are continuing. They're they're doing what they did with the original Assassin's Creed, which is right, which is take that foundation and build on it. And they built and built and built all the way up through, um, you know, really kind of Assassin's Creed Four, Black Flag, mm-hmm. uh, and then you know shortly after that they made the switch to Origins, and that started a new foundation. And they're building on that. So um, Valhalla really does seem like the next iteration of that. You know, th- this new this new game system that they've built and turned Assassin's Creed into. It's not really a stealth action game anymore. It's an open world RPG, which I'm down, you know, with as a, as a big nerdy fantasy guy and, and history yeah. buff and mythology guy. I, I can't wait to dive into that. Everything that I saw looks really, really cool. Um, you know, more of what you're used to. Um, there are some, there are some new mechanics and elements they've added, but I'll be honest with you, just I watched the presentation on Sunday and I can't really remember what they are. So they didn't like blow me away or anything, but it seems like a bunch of nice little quality life improvements, which is kind of all I want out of out of another Odyssey type game, which is what Valhalla seems like it's going to be. But with, you know, a Norse wrapping on it, which is fantastic because that culture is so weird and diverse and, um, you know, it doesn't really get the same sort of shine as a lot of other cultures get. They tend to focus on the barbarous sort of Viking elements of it. So I'm yeah. really, really curious to see how they dive in and sort of humanize these people and, and tell that story of the sort of invasion of Great Britain. So it's funny uh, you mentioned uh, you you mentioned that Assassins has, has turned more into a, an RPG now. It, I guess it, is it fair to it's probably fair to say that they've they've taken those stealth elements really and moved them like that's kind of that's Watchdogs now, right? So they've they've almost sort of yeah, well in an ideal world it would their be, identities yeah in an ideal world it would be a new Splinter Cell game but uh, <laughs> yeah yeah I, I'd say more of the stealth action or the stealth action that we're used to in you know what Assassin's Creed was previously is now in sort of the vein of Watch Dogs and then Far Cry is your first person open world shooter and Assassin's Creed is now your third person action adventure RPG so um, I know it's a weird sort of alphabet soup of genre types but. 
you know, they all accomplish slightly different things while still using the main thing to Miranda's point that Ubisoft does, which is give you a big ass world and fill it with a ton of little things to do. Um, so yeah, I, I, I know we did see stealth in there. Like there were, there were little groups that you could walk around with and move with um, sort of a nod to, to old Assassin's Creed's, but yeah. it seems like the blueprint is moving forward um, based on origins and odyssey. And, and, you know, I, I know it's a divisive opinion. Some people really like the old style, but I'm here for it. I, I like it. More open world action games, I say. And we've got three minutes till we're going to pipe in Jason from the Xbox team. So I just want to talk release dates here real quick. October 29th for Watch Dogs and November 17th for Assassin's Creed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will go Miranda's way first. Miranda, do you think that that Assassin's uh, release date in particular offers any hint of the Series X's release date itself on the hardware side. I mean, I'd like to hope so, just because we also have uh, Cyberpunk hitting right around there too. Uh, so it would make a lot of sense to me that we see these out in November. Um, it w- I don't see why would they would want to launch too late after. Because it is, it is day and date. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, at least they've yeah. said that it's, it will be on the console at launch. So seemingly this would hint that assassins is out or that the series x is out on or after november 17th yes. as opposed to before yes and i would assume that they'd want to at least have the consoles out before they put that out especially if they try to showcase like look at our next gen potential like, i don't see them wanting to put out uh this before the next gen consoles are out destin you agree you think uh this is just it's just a game release date and the console could still come earlier I think it's coincidental. I think the console is going to come out in October. Really, it'll come out like mm. yeah, near the, near the end of October to set us up for Black Friday and the the holiday season. Oh, that'll that's, be that's that's sort of my take on it. I hope you're right because that would mean Halo comes out sooner, and it's that would mean you can play <laughs> Halo before all this other stuff comes out in November. Uh, all right, stick with us here. We're going to come right back in just a second with Jason Ronald from Xbox. We're back with Jason Ronald from the Xbox Series X team. He is, as you remember from last time, the Director of Program Management. Jason, so good to have you back, sir. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be back. So uh, here we are in July. First Party Game Showcase is coming up, but your work on the hardware side continues. Uh, before we get rolling, I'm curious, is are you getting any sleep at this point, or is it, I don't sort of know how, you know, software certainly, they're going to be going up to the last second. What's... What's your life like right now and your team's life lives? Uh, it's a great question. I mean, things are definitely exciting right now. Uh, you know, in the build up to a launch, it's always an exciting time. Uh, and definitely with everybody working from home, you know, it's introduced some unique challenges. But overall, we're really happy with how the team's pivoted to working from home. And we're excited for launch later this year. Fantastic. All right. Well, we've got you for a few minutes here. Uh, We're going to kind of go around the table. Everybody's got some questions prepared. So we're talking specifically today because we've been kind of, you know, we're zeroing in with you on IGN and here on Unlocked as well on sort of some of these, just getting to know more about these specific next gen features baked into the Xbox Series X. So we're talking Xbox velocity architecture today. Uh, So I kind of want to start with you. I read your blog post, but like sort of, for me, it's it's this nebulous thing. Like, what does that really mean? So, like, holistically, what is velocity architecture? Because it's it's a speed thing, but it's it's not just about the the hard drive, right? It's not just about the NVMe SSD drive. 
Yeah. So, you know, with many things with the Xbox Series X, a lot of it really starts with the feedback from developers. So very early on in the program, we reach out to developers all across the industry and really talk to them about what they saw the future of their games or what games they really like aspired to go build. And, you know, at the platform level, what our goal is to make sure that we eliminate any technical barriers to from them being able to deliver on that creative vision. And one of the things that became very clear is I.O. is very constraining for a lot of game developers. A lot of times they'll have to funnel a player through like a hallway or put them in an elevator to kind of work around some of the limitations of the technology. So that it, that feedback really influenced us and informed us. And as we're thinking about next generation, we really had to think about how do we like reinvent or you know revolutionize how a traditional io system works and and to your point ryan it's not just hardware it's really that deep integration between hardware and software to make sure that developers can take full advantage of the capabilities of the hardware that we have as well as allowing them to be much more efficient to get even more performance beyond the raw hardware specs Miranda. oh go ahead Brandon, go ahead i was gonna jump right in please no <laughs> go ahead um, I actually had a question along those same lines. You know, there, there's one of the big selling points of the, although I guess all the way back to the Xbox One X now, is that, yes, games can be optimized for it, but there is a certain performance bump that you'll just see inherently to, you know, the power of the hardware, depending, you know, regardless of the software. Um, what you just described sounds like something that can be utilized and taken advantage of by developers, but is this something that actually specifically needs to be designed or will we see a similar sort of advancement um, for any software just based on the hardware? Yeah, so the hardware alone provides a tremendous amount of benefits. And like, if you look at what we showed earlier this year with some of our backwards compatible games and the dramatic change in load times, clearly those games were written before this hardware even existed. So you're already seeing just from a raw hardware perspective, the massive advantages of going to an SSD level IO performance. But what really excites us is what developers can do beyond the hardware. You know, as you know, as we think across the generation, I think there's going to be a lot of innovation in this space as developers really start to understand what the true capabilities are and how they can kind of rethink even how they build their games or how they design their games with all these new capabilities available to them. Destin, I, you, I, have, I have a note here that you have a super nerdy SSD question. So please. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so so I'm looking at the the stats for the hard drive. It looks like you have it standardized at 2.4 gigabytes per second raw, but it can go up to 4.8 gigabytes seconds. Uh, how did you land on those speeds? Um, what benefits are developers going to be able to utilize from that specifically? And because like uh, looking at Gen four M two NVMe drives, they do like they can do up to 4,400 to 5,000. Uh, you guys kind of seem to have landed on this sweet spot. I'm just wondering how you came to that conclusion and what mm -hmm. benefits developers will have to have with this tremendous speed. Sure. So one of the core principles that we have is consistent, sustained performance. Because as a developer, you want to have those guarantees so that you don't have to worry about variability in the performance of the, the console itself. And if you think about a traditional SSD that maybe exists in your PC or whatnot, you know, if the SSD gets hot, the performance actually drops. Or if the SSD needs to perform maintenance, all of a sudden you can get hitches and whatnot. So we really designed this around consistent, sustained performance. 
And that also applies to the expandable storage module that we have as well, because we didn't want developers to have to worry about a different performance characteristic if the drive or if the game's running on the internal drive or if it's on expandable storage. It's really about that optimal, consistent, sustained performance. And then with all the other advances that we have, like the new direct storage API or sampler feedback streaming, that even allows developers a lot more fine-tuned control to get even more efficiency out of the drive beyond just the raw bandwidth itself. Now, Jason, okay. uh, oh, go ahead, cool. Dustin. If you got a follow-up there, feel free. No, I was just like, knowing that it expands up to 4.8 gigabytes per second, I, I was just sort of curious about the, the nitty-gritty of why, why not just say that number and why the sustained was so important. So thank you for answering the question. <clears throat> so, Jason, um, now, I was, again, reading through the blog post. You, this is something you had touched on this like back when the, the early spec reveals of the console, which feels like six years ago, but it was just a few months ago. But um, it's this Xbox velocity architecture. It's not just about loading times, though, right? There's even, like, it gets into image quality, and does it even sort of mm -hmm. affect frame rate? Like, can you kind of speak to the, again, holistic nature of it? Sure. So the Xbox Velocity architecture really comprises four components that all come together. And to your point, Ryan, it's even beyond load times. So, you know, you've got the, the custom NVMe SSD at kind of the foundation, but then we have hardware decompression technology on top of that because game assets are actually compressed to minimize the size of the game, the footprint on the drive. And, you know, if you just use uh, software-based decompression, we could consume easily two to four CPU cores. And that would take away from the game that you're actually playing. So now we can offload that. So in many ways, that's kind of free for a developer. And then you look at things like direct storage, where it's really about how quickly and how a developer can prioritize what data gets loaded. So if you think about like a fast travel system in a game, as an example, you know, being able to be more fine grained and being able to control how you actually load that data and then you look at something like sampler feedback streaming, we actually have customizations into the GPU itself so that you don't even have to load entire uh, textures into memory so that you can be that much more efficient with it. Because one of the things that we did is we actually had custom hardware in the Xbox One X, which actually allowed us to inventory how memory is actually being used by titles. And what we realized is there's a lot of IO bandwidth and there's a lot of memory that's being used because developers didn't have this level of precision. So now I don't have to load the entire texture into memory. I can just load the portions that I need for that individual frame, which allows more GPU power for better effects, more diversity of objects in the open world, a more dense open world. So it really kind of impacts a lot of different systems. And it's really about giving developers that flexibility and that control to make sure that their games are really delivering on that creative vision and a true transformative gaming experience. Does, could, could that even benefit frame rate as well? Or would that, would that be more of a CPU issue? It's both. It's both. Um, you know, so it's about visual quality, and at the end of the day, frame rate is really dictated by CPU, memory bandwidth, I/O, and the GPU. So all of these really come together to to define that gaming experience. So uh, I've got another question. I'm, I've my guess is you're not going to answer this, but I'm going to try just <laughs> because you never know until you try. So I'm curious about this this custom hard drive that we're talking about here, the NVMe SSD drive that's in the Series X, it, it, how much of it is going to actually be available to players after, 
system and OS files inevitably take up some of it. So sort of what's because it's you know you were, were you're talking about the expand expansion drive as well and probably expecting that to not be super cheap given its capabilities. So kind of curious what what block of that uh, what block is going to be available for game storage uh, this fall. Yeah, so we're not ready to share the the, the final numbers because like we're still finishing up the user experience and and whatnot. But you know that's part of the reason why we have things like hardware decompression as an example because we want to be as respectful as possible and you know make sure the actual game footprint on that drive is as small as possible. We have other capabilities that we provided to developers as well so that developers can be more intelligent about what assets actually get installed. So as an example, you know, if you're a primarily English speaking player, maybe you don't have to download, you know, other languages or audio files for for other uh, languages so that we can once again reduce that footprint overall so that we can be as respectful as possible. And then as a player, you don't have to worry about storage management as much um, even though, you know, at the end of the day, it, for most of us, we have tons of games and we want to be able to be flexible with that. So it's really about, you know, putting the control in the player's hands and really trying to compress those games as much as possible. Boy, in, in an age of, of uh, ever-increasing file sizes for games, but also ever-increasing pervasiveness of, of bandwidth caps from Internet providers, that is a, that is a relief to hear right there. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, I Miranda. Gonna, I was just going to say that I could see that being a huge helpful thing for games like Call of Duty, which have just had increasingly larger updates that just kind of are almost like mind-boggling how big they get. Mm. Um, and I think it'd be very nice to have that storage size like just kind of minimized in a way. Um, do you have any sort of estimate about like how much this would actually change those download sizes? I mean, obviously, we don't know what these next games look like, but is there any sort of like tangible like, oh, well, maybe it'll be like this much percentage potentially of um, a decrease on the storage downloads and such? Yeah, it's a hard question to answer because the answer really varies game to game. Um, You know, in in some games, you know, they're very large open world games and it's really hard to do that. In other cases, you know, maybe you have single player and multiplayer and they're almost like distinct modes. So it's it's hard to provide a general number. But, you know, when we were making certain design decisions, we looked across all the titles in the portfolio what the average size was, how they were actually being played. And then, like I mentioned before, we did talk to developers as well as they're thinking about kind of their games next year or five years into the future and what level of fidelity and control do we need to give them to make sure that the player has the best experience possible. Actually, Jason, I have a, I have a follow-up on that too. Is it, So, because I'm, I'm liking this, I mean, this sounds like a great feature. Is it something that is uh, going to be required as part of, uh, the submission, the certification and submission process for for every developer where, you know, I don't know how it works on the back end, but if something has to get flagged for like, okay, well, this, you know, this is, what to your example, uh, uh, foreign language files, so they're optional installations based on the region of the console. Like, is it a thing that you guys are going to be kind of baking into the the certification and submission process for Series X, or is it totally a developer by developer choice to to flag that stuff to to piece out those those downloads 
Yeah, it's not really a, a certification requirement, but we work very closely with all the best developers all around the world. We understand their technology stack. We understand kind of how they design and build their games. So a lot of it is just kind of partnering with them and really working through and making sure they're aware of here's all the options available to us and finding that right solution that works with the kind of game that they're building as well as what the player's expectations were. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't benefit anybody if, you know, games are massively huge, you know, and like it's a really long download time or like you were talking about with bandwidth caps and whatnot. So it's more of a partnership between us and the developer as opposed to like a strict certification requirement. Because, you know, like back in the day, in the 360 days, you guys uh, required live arcade games to be under a certain file size mm -hmm. for a while. So I know that, that that's what made me think of that. I know stuff like that mm -hmm. has existed in the past uh, for, of course, Back then, there were there were still memory card options, so you had to take that stuff into account. Well, speak everybody else, speak now or forever hold your peace. I think that's that's everything I've got for Jason on uh, velocity architecture. Jason, thank you. I, I want to have you back. Uh, there are more interesting topics, next gen features to to discuss. So I hope you'll come back uh, in the near future. Absolutely. And I'm always excited to come back. And, you know, this is always a great conversation. So I'm really excited for uh, future conversations. Fantastic. Jason Ronald, Director of Program Management for the Xbox Series X at Microsoft. We will see you again, sir. See ya. Thank you to Jason Ronald for stopping by once again. We'll look to have him on again in the future because we've got plenty of time left to go a lot, lot left to talk about with this console before it launches uh back to the news because there is plenty of it to talk about destin uh we've yeah. got mr phil spencer making the rounds really good piece on gamesindustry.biz a couple of them actually this week covering microsoft and the series x well, our friend phil spencer who i know is listening at the dog park somewhere someday i don't know when but it's now to him as he's listening to my voice right now he is phil is not having your xbox one is holding the series x games back argument so in an interview with gamesindustry.biz he said this quote frankly held back is a meme that gets created by people who are too caught up in device competition I just look at Windows. It's almost certain if the developer is building a Windows version of their game, then the most powerful and highest fidelity version is the PC version. You can even see that with some of our first-party console games going to PC, even from our competitors, that the richest version is the PC version. Yet, the PC ecosystem is the most diverse when it comes to hardware when you think about the CPUs and GPUs from years ago that are there. So, uh... He goes on, yes, every developer is going to find a line uh, and say that this is the hardware that I'm going to support, but the diversity of hardware choice in PC has not held back the highest fidelity PC games on the market. The highest fidelity PC games rival anything that anybody has ever seen in video games. So this idea that developers don't know how to build games or game engines or ecosystems that work across a set of hardware, there's a proof point in PC that shows that's not the case. Destiny seems like he's making a lot of sense right there. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Like, how many times does this have to be communicated? We've had this conversation on this show. We've had game developers talk about developing for multiple platforms. No, nothing is held back. There's no holding back. Like, that's just not a thing. So I'm really glad Phil is just like, okay, like, come on. Like, this has been, for years, this has been in development. Like, go look at the PC ecosystem is what he's saying, basically. They developed for, like, 
thousands of different hardware configurations and do they hold back? No, they push stuff, they push games to their limits. So this idea that developing on the Series X is going to hold back anything, it's not true. Period. Done. <laughs> Brandon Tyrell, what do you make of this? Uh, I, uh, right there with Destin. I'm glad Phil didn't hold back. And um, <laughs> I know there's, you know, you you have to address these things with a certain, you know, a modicum of, of I, I don't know. Patience. Yeah, I don't think patience is the right word, but yeah, we'll go with that one. <laughs> um, you you know, you, you have to have a, a certain level of decorum when you answer these things, but I, I really do appreciate the fact that he just basically calls it out what it is. Like, it is a meme. It, it's a talking point based off hyper-tribal people who really, you know, want to plant their flag in a certain camp and, and look for any any other reason to discount the competitor. Um Frankly, it's super tiring, and I'm really glad to see somebody, especially somebody you know with Phil's stature, um, calls it what it is. Right? Calls them like you see them. It's it's silly. Like we they've been doing this for years. The PC is a perfect proof point for it. It's a non-story. I think the bigger story here is Microsoft continues to say do what they've been doing and finding success with recently, which is actually address things and say them openly again with that certain you know patina of of uh, you know decorum, I guess. But they're actually addressing the, the things that come up in a uh, in a straight way, and I appreciate that. I think that level of sort of like genuine shoot from the hip kind of communication is is really i think needed and i think it's been missing yeah yeah it's fair now miranda i feel like i don't know how you feel about this but it seems to me that this this issue no matter how strongly phil words it is probably gonna float around in like the hardcore you know corners of the of the gaming community until when this console actually comes out and we can put halo infinite side by side on a series x a pc and an xbox one or and or one x and then really see the differences and and be able to judge for ourselves absolutely i think that will go a long way i mean be able to see the proof of that is very helpful um at the same time i am also glad that phil addressed it as a meme um, because there are, I think there are a lot of people out there who are maybe in different gaming spaces and they hear this from other people and say, right. oh, yeah, it could be holding it back. Like, I could see that if they've never really considered the PC side of things. Maybe they just aren't really big into PC gaming. And I wouldn't fault them for not knowing that. Um, and so I think Phil coming up and saying, hey, this is a thing that is happening here. Let's just address this re- really quickly. It's a joke. Obviously, there's a lot of proof that this isn't something that's going to hold things back. Um, but to your point, of course, having those side-by-side comparisons are going to go a long way. Yeah, there, there is a point. Messaging is a weird thing because you can't address every false, misleading, partially true thing that comes along about your product or your company. But if uh, every now and again you have to or else the, 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 perception becomes reality and, and suddenly you've kind of lost that that battle so yeah i thought it was cool to see him come out and just be pretty definitive about it in his to brandon's point uh very appropriate way of of handling it uh another tip of the cap this week in our last big story here to gamesindustry.biz they talked to uh they did a couple of cool microsoft stories this week this one was about 
how the all the new studios have have acclimated to Microsoft, but really the, the, the what's cool about the story is it's actually more about the reverse, about how Microsoft has has acclimated their culture to the new studios culture. So there's I'm not gonna obviously read the whole thing. It's a it's a really good in-depth piece, but I wanted to bring up a few points with you guys. One, there's a section about in exile, makers of Wasteland 3, that's Brian Fargo studio, uh, and this. So we learned that InXile is staffing up for their next project after Wasteland 3, which we'd already talked about on this podcast. We know from Brian Fargo's public comments that is going to be an Unreal Engine 5 role-playing game. Uh, and they say InXile was eager to grow its team and has already, meaning since the acquisition by Microsoft, has already added more than 20 people with plans to add 20 more. Quote, as a smaller developer, we always knew the positions that we were missing and the things that we wanted to do to up our game, Fargo explains. We want to show what we're capable of and step it up a notch in terms of the experiences we can deliver. Inexile was eager to grow its team and has already added more than 20 people since the acquisition with plans to add 20 more. And he continues, as a smaller developer, we always knew the positions that we were missing. Oh, sorry, I copy-pasted the same thing twice. Anyway... They're staffing up, uh, which which kind of goes to the conversation we were having about Unreal Engine 5. Would, the fact that they're using it would seem to indicate that they're going to be upping their budget, upping upping everything about it. So, Brandon, this seems like uh, we can look forward to a, a pretty you know cool AAA caliber RPG from InXile in a few years. Which is something the Xbox has, has sorely been missing the last couple of years, so... Um, I, I'm really, I'm really hopeful about this, especially because that team is so talented in the RPG space. Um, and look, you don't buy a company unless you like what they make, right? And yeah. Microsoft knows Inexile makes great stuff, um, and Inexile knows Microsoft has the resources to support them with tech and polish and you know, foundation of knowledge and, and whatever, whatever it is that Microsoft brings to the table. Uh, there, there's no, there's no downside to this. This is all good news. We should all be happy, especially if you're like me and you love RPGs. So, um, you know, perfect match. Now, Miranda, uh, the next section here was about studio you and I love. Double Fine, just down the street from IGN. Uh, Now, it seems that we don't need to worry about Tim Schafer and Double Fine being turned into a support studio. Tim Schafer telling GamesIndustry.biz, quote, with Game Pass, it wouldn't make sense to acquire Double Fine and then assign us a bunch of Forza DLC. That's not what you'd want from a studio like Double Fine. And Game Pass seems like a great opportunity to have a diversity of games, a plethora of unusual content. I can see how the type of games that Double Fine makes could fit into that. That's uh, That's got to be music to your ears. Yeah, there was like a really funny quote too, because I don't think anybody would expect Double Fine to go on to make Forza DLC. <laughs> like that would be that would be the worst. I mean, not because they're not capable, because it's like, why would you do that? Like, they're such a talented studio with like really imaginative games, um, and so it is. It is good to see uh, Game Industry Up is like kind of making the rounds and be like, so how are you guys doing? Like, what's going on here? Um, we do know that we are going to hear from Double Fine here soon in just a few weeks. Uh, yes. at the big, next week. Yeah. We're, uh, oh, my God. It's next week. Jesus it's Christ. next week. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh. 
time. What is it? Um, and so like, we're going to, we're going to see what they're working on. And like, we know some of the products they've worked on before. And I do agree that like, obviously game pass is like a huge opportunity for them to do some really cool stuff. So like, maybe we see them doing, uh, even more like smaller projects, like or mm-hmm. across the board, and like just like you know their mainline projects as well. So I'd be really curious to see what sort of games they'll come out with. Uh, I personally really love the Double Fine Adventure games, and I would love to see them just pump out so many more. By pump oh, out, I mean great. lovingly craft, uh, but maybe with smaller <laughs> teams and like maybe smaller experiences. I've I've personally been trying to play a lot more adventure games that are smaller bite sized experiences, and it's just so fun to get those too. So I would love to see them have the opportunity to do those sorts of things as well did you play broken age miranda yes i did i did the uh second half of our guide for that i I, I loved doing that it was i did a spoiler free guide so you get a bunch of hints instead of just having the answer love it yeah it's excellent uh yeah it's it's funny you know you bring up i think you're totally right like game pass like the reality is starbreeze was going to publish psychonauts 2 that was Mm -hmm. the situation prior and then starbreeze fell on they actually fell on some hard times uh financially i actually don't know what the did they did they shutter or are they still i i'm not sure i did i did not research that beforehand this was just an off-the-cuff thought from what miranda was saying but yeah i know they they were having some issues so like the reality was even if starbreeze had proceeded to publish psychonauts 2 they don't have one tenth of the marketing power of the of the resources that Microsoft does, and it wouldn't have been on probably wouldn't have been on Game Pass. Like so many people are going to find Psychonauts two just from Game Pass, mm-hmm. uh, particularly if there's any word of mouth that ends up going going around with the game. Whereas, oh yeah, just download that on on Game Pass. So it's it, it's double double fine really does seem like a great fit within the the game pass and microsoft ecosystem uh let's move on here brandon brandon tyrell i know you've we've been keeping an eye on uh compulsion games for a while we happy few was a was a very promising game that turned out good i think it's fair to say maybe not not like quite as great as we'd hope for but it was a good game and they are uh seemingly early on so maybe just as as a hint of what's to come or not to come next week at the at the xbox game showcase i'm betting we won't see anything from compulsion because the the gi biz story talks about this quote uh from this is from matt booty the head of uh, head of xbox first party talking take compulsion they're working on their next game and have spent the last year on early ideation I try to keep us as far away from that as possible. And then as it starts to get exposure within the organization, feedback will come in and things will start to steer. But it's important to leave them alone for as long as possible until they've got something that we that can walk on its own. And then there's no shortage of feedback within Xbox. So you know, the, sure. the quote there is about Microsoft being hands-off, but I think totally. a near-term takeaway is even though it's been like Two and a half years, I think, since no. we happy few. It, I'll look it up while you're talking, but it, I, yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's been a little while. But it sounds like we should not expect them at the the event next week. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's not the biggest team in the world by by any stretch. Um, and there there are kind of two points here. One speaks to compulsion games, and one speaks to Microsoft's third party, I guess now first party philosophy, right? Which yeah. is 
something that I, I personally really, really love to hear because what Matt Booty essentially said was like, hey, we want to give you the tools to, to perfect your craft and then we want to get out of the way. Yes, of course, there are checkboxes you have to hit. Microsoft has a, has a portfolio of things that they want to see in their video games. Um, but when you go to any of your studios, you say, hey, we're thinking about this. What are you thinking about? And then, you know, I, I imagine the studios already have a million ideas of things they can do. Um, it just depends on what they're passionate about. And that kind of leads back to the Compulsion Games uh, example, which is, you know, the folks at MSFT aren't dumb. Like they buy studios that A, you know, fit their profile and what they're looking for and B, are super talented, right? Like look at all the studios they've picked up so far. They all have legitimate bangers in their pro in their portfolios. So um, you look at Compulsion Games. Yeah, We Happy Few maybe didn't hit every mark that you're looking for, right? But you can't tell me that wasn't a really, really genuine and intriguing, unique look at a game that we hadn't really seen before. Absolutely. Um, and and that sort of passion and that sort of weird sort of uniqueness, maybe weird's the wrong adjective to use there, but that sort of uniqueness, um, that's the element that you can't teach, right? Like you can teach tech, you can give them money, you can give them resources and time, but you really got to have that, that just, you got to have that passion for the kernel of the idea. Um, and I, and again, I guess it all doubles back to what to what Matt said, which is, you know, don't show them the right way to crawl. Let them figure out how to crawl. And then you step in when they're ready to get up on their own two feet uh, and make sure they don't fall over on the coffee table. Right. right. So um, everything speaks to me perfectly as far as what it is they're looking to do with their partners. And I really, really love the idea of like, Hey, we're here to help you. We'll give you everything you need and we're going to stay out of your way because we picked you up for a reason. Right. Um, and, and uh, yeah, it turns out we happy few is just about two years. So it's been about two years is early August, 2018. Right. So uh, we're a couple years out already from we happy few time flies. You think, uh, <laughs> uh, finally, Destin, Microsoft, uh, in this last bit of this piece that I wanted to share, Microsoft isn't actively shopping for new studios, but they're, but not, they're not not shopping. They're not, not shopping, that's right. We're <laughs> not looking for everything, but we have a crisp $20 bill in our pocket. Spilf saying, quote, we're always in the market for new opportunities with studios. The first priority was making sure the studios had the things that they needed to build the best versions of their games. That means extending some of the timelines and giving them some more, uh, giving them more budgets. We have a really strong support from Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, and Amy Hood, the CFO. And there's been no signal at all that we should be slowing down, but just to go at a pace that is maintainable for us as a leadership team, we're always out there talking to people, but it has to be the right opportunity. Destin Legarry. Well, I got an opportunity for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's called WB, and That's you should right. give him a call. Give him a call. Satya? Oh, man, I'm sorry I butchered your name, but call him up. They're worth it. Yeah, call the Warner Brothers. <laughs> Get them on the phone. I do like the idea that they're like, hey, although we are not necessarily not looking, we we do need to take care of the studios we have first, like make sure that they're tended to and have what they need. But but we're also maybe still looking. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's weird. Right? I feel like what was what was the quote? Two billion or four billion? Four. But then there'd be that like literally, that's yeah. literally what Disney paid for Lucas. So uh, that's crazy. That's like going to shop for a couch and then being like, you know what? This couch isn't going to fit. Let's just buy a new house. <laughs> that's new house money. So I'm really, uh, God, 
What an interesting. But what if it's a really beautiful new house with all the amenities you've ever wanted? That's right. It's, 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 look, I am 100% getting Microsoft <laughs> a new house. That's my team. Um, you know, an upgrade. I, that's the, that quote makes me happy because it's a it's a wry little wink of like you know we're not not looking. I mean, we're, you know, we're not going to make any. We're not going to rush into anything here. Uh, I really hope that happens. Yeah, we talked about it last week. It's it's too good of an opportunity to pass up if if that's a if that's a real opportunity. So we shall see. So uh, we are now out of time. And Destin, see, Destin has to go interview some fancy pants celebrity, so he's got a role. But uh, we are at time anyway. We will get back to the loot box and unlock block trivia next week, which means Brandon Tyrell maintains his lead for another week. <laughs> Still don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter if you'd like at DMC underscore Ryan. How about you, Brandon Tyrell? Hey, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Tyrell on Twitter. Uh, that's about it. Well, that was short and sweet. Look at you. Out of time. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Destin Legary. At Destin Legary, twist.tv slash Destin if you want to watch me play a lot of Destiny. <laughs> I do. I'm glad you gave the link because that's exactly what I want. <laughs> Um, Miranda Sanchez, take us home. Hi, you can find me um, at Havoc Rose, and that's Havoc with a K, on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. And tonight I'll be continuing my playthrough of Bioshock 2, which I am not loving, but we're going to keep playing. Oh. So <laughs> but I want to get some nervous deaths, so I'm going to finish this game. Uh, I would like to report that I am starting to feel better. I can open my eyes more. I think I'm sounding a little bit more clear. I think the BAM and the medication helped out. So <laughs> it was not wasn't the medication, it was all the podcasts. Combined. All, Absolutely. Yeah. Combined powers. <laughs> you just worked through it. Uh well, thank you, Brandon, Miranda, and Destin. And special thanks to Jason Ronald from the Xbox team for stopping by and talking to us about Xbox Velocity Architecture. That'll do it for episode 452. Uh so next week, let's see, I believe. Yeah, I don't think we're doing a show next week until Thursday. the event, uh, the you know the live post show. So uh, join us live on IGN, or of course, if you can't make it live, we'll you know it'll be there for you in all the usual video or or podcast ways for you after. But here we go, July twenty third, Xbox Game Showcase. We will see you then. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.